to stand and sing it. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where the cleansed thing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus, so sweet. to the Lord in prayer, a couple of uh, quick things. Um, as you'll see on the stage, there's Operation Christmas Child boxes this year. Our church put together uh, 2,100 boxes, which is great. It's most that we've ever done. Um, you know, I say this every year, it's not about the number, because every box represents a gospel presentation. And so for a kid to get a box, he gets to hear the gospel. And so we pray, as we pray in a minute, we'll pray as these boxes go out that the gospel will be made clear to them and that they will become followers of Christ. Um, tomorrow, we pack the big semis, you'll see the, the trailers out there. And so if you're a, a strong man, uh, we need you from 10 to 1 tomorrow to help pack boxes into a, a truck. And um, then also coming up in just a, a few weeks from now, we'll do our annual Giving Christmas. And Giving Christmas is uh, we have 35 families that we have adopted in our community, and uh, we need um, gift wrappers. We need people who will help serve breakfast, and we also will need people that will host tables and just sit with people from our community and make conversation and make a connection. And in both of these, with Operation Christmas Child and Giving Christmas, if you're able to give financially, you can do that through the yellow envelope that's uh, in your pew rack in front of you. And just put Operation Christmas Child or Giving Christmas, and they will go to the accounts that they need to go to. But great opportunities for you to jump in. For Giving Christmas, I'll be out in the lobby in the Welcome Center afterwards, and you can sign up to, uh, to help, and I'll answer any questions that you may have for that. So let's, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father God, you're an amazing God, and I thank you for the opportunity that you give us each year to pack boxes. And I know it seems like a, 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 just a weird little box that we put together, but God, each of those boxes represents a gospel presentation that somebody will get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, we just pray as these boxes go to, to different parts of the world that you will just, uh, 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 as the kids get them, that they'll hear a clear presentation of the gospel. God, as we worship today, Lord, we pray that we will hear and see 
a clear presentation of the gospel as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And uh, God, we just uh, give you this time, and may everything that is said, done, and uh, uh, sung in this service bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me echo uh, Blake there when he said, just be in prayer, be intentional in praying about how we're going to get the message out of Jesus, to G about Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Another way to do that is back to Bethlehem. And if you see a few dozen of us uh, running around the uh, hallways with a little bit of extra sweat on our brow, it's because we just realized that we're within two weeks of starting uh, back to Bethlehem. So uh, if you can still help, uh, you please uh, see me or Kathy or somebody on the cast and we'll get you plugged in and be praying about how we're going to get the, the gospel out. Uh, by the way, you can still uh, give out these, these cards to friends and family, and that will be the invite cards to, to that. Um, the last thing I want to say before we have parent-child dedication is please fill out this uh, uh, connection card. And if you're maybe a first or second time guest with us, we'd love to know who you are, how to minister to you. There's some questions on there. If you choose to answer those, we can tell you a little bit more about the church and stuff like that. So uh, please fill those out. Put those in um, the offering plate. Let me say this, too. We don't say this enough. We have a wonderful uh, connection center out there. So anytime you're feeling like, uh, you know, hey, there's something I don't know about, I'd like to know more about, go out there after service, ask questions, we'll get you the answers, okay? If we don't have them right then, we'll find them for you, okay? So take advantage of our Connection Center. Uh, Jennifer? Good morning. I would like to welcome family and friends who are joining us this morning to witness today's parent-child dedication service. This is an important and special event in the life of a child, and it is a privilege to introduce the Semniok family this morning. Today, Elsie Bell Semniok, born May 30th, 2023, is being dedicated by her parents, Nathan and Haley Semniok. Brother Philip is presenting Elsie's family with a certificate of dedication and a Bible to serve as a reminder of the covenant that they will be entering into today. Dedicated at our church. Number three, amen? Ask them about number four, five, and six, and they didn't respond. <laughs> uh, so as the Simniok stand before you, just one family today, and we'll probably take part in another one in the, around uh, Easter, but uh, just a reminder today of a couple of things for our church family as we per participate in a child dedication. Um, it's the privilege of the church to encourage and assist parents in the proper training and development of their children, therefore it's appropriate for home and church to unite in a service of dedication. We're first here to give thanks to our God for the creation and birth of this little precious girl. Amen. In the second place, we're to make a solemn promise as parents and as a church that we will endeavor to provide guidance for these children in instruction, discipline, salvation, experience, growth in the Lord. And in the third place, we pray that for the Lord God to bless this child in the presence of his spirit remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ took children and blessed them. Listen to the Bible. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 103, 17 through 18 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So to the parents, I say, in presenting your child to the Lord, do you promise in dependence on God's grace to teach your daughter the truths of the Christian faith, to set a Christian example for her, to bring her up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, and to encourage her to accept Christ as Savior under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Amen. I like that. Second, to the congregation, do you as members of this church at First Baptist Ozark promise to join these parents in teaching and training of these children uh, that she may be led in due time to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and confess him through baptismal waters? And if you do this, would you indicate by standing? Amen. Let's pray. Great God, we worship you. And we know that children are a heritage unto the Lord. They're precious in your sight. Lord, they're gifts from you. God, help us as a church and as parents to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And let us value the sanctity of life. Lord, that you've blessed us with, made in your image, Lord God. And we just praise you for the Simniots. We pray for just a blessing on their lives. And we stand with them as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our worship today uh, centers around, as you can probably see, uh, the Lord's Supper. And so as a believer, when you think of the Lord's Supper, I have to think the, the first uh, thing you think of is, I am so thankful. And that's one of the reasons we're doing it this day on the eve of Thanksgiving week, uh, because these two thoughts go together so, so well. So let's sing these wonderful songs of Thanksgiving today.
we do want to come before you. Uh, there's just one thing we want to say, and that is thank you. Thank you for your great salvation. Thank you for your many blessings, many blessings that countless times a day we don't even recognize, we don't even see, but yet you bless us. And so, Lord, we just give you all praise and glory and honor. Help us to give back to you in such a way that would glorify and honor your great name in this time of offering. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uncle Jeff, have you seen the last piece of pumpkin pie? What did it look like? Come on, you're like 50 years old. You should know how pie looks. Jeff, 50? Come on. Can you even count to 50? Uncle Jeff, I got some questions for you. Yes? Why do we have turkey on Thanksgiving? Because when cooked properly, every four or five years, it's delicious. Okay, so then why would we have green bean casserole then? Touche. Why can't I have a whip plate? McDonald's the pie. Uh, clearly it's not stopping you. Why did mom have a full plate of stuffing when she's on keto? Because carbs are comforting. Why can't I just lick my plate? If I'm in charge of the dishes, I actually encourage that. to sit close to the TV. Why does water taste different in Nana's house? Why isn't Grandpa allowed to have salt? Why is gravy brown? Why am I not allowed to touch the air freshener? Why does Cooper pick his nose so much? Why does Mom call me by my sister's name? Why do we plant all the time? Why can't I eat grass? Why can't I sit in Dad's chair? Why is Sunday school called Sunday school? Why do cows have four stomachs? Why do parents whisper when they get mad? Why do old people write in person? Why do babies have no teeth? Why is baseball so boring? Why do fish have no lungs? Why is Thanksgiving before Christmas? I know why. You know why what? I know why Thanksgiving comes right before Christmas. <sighs> okay. Tell me. Why does Thanksgiving come right before Christmas? Because it reminds us to be thankful that God sent us Jesus. <laughs> I never thought of that before. <laughs> I like that. All right. Hit me with some of that whipped cream, girl. From darkness into light, for the hope it rescues us from endless night, for the grace that covers sin and the door where life begins, for salvation reaching in to guide us through. Thanks be to our God. For the healing that no mortal can explain. 
For deliverance that breaks the sinner's chains. For the strength to carry on. And forgiveness great and strong. And the promise of your mercies ever new. Thanks be to our God. Oh, thanks be to our 
familiarity with God's Word is a great blessing, isn't it? To know where to find a passage, to be able to recall it into your mind, to know biblical truths can be a blessing. Yet familiarity can also be a great curse because we get so familiar with glorious things that we begin to forget how beautiful they actually are and we can tend to miss the great depths of what God is trying to say to us. And so I think familiarity with the Lord's Supper and what the Bible teaches about the Passover and the Lord's Supper, uh, we can get numb to it because we as a church participate in the Lord's Supper once a month and we are following our Lord's command that to do this in remembrance of Him. Um, we're never commanded in the Word to remember His birth. We're, not ever, we're never commanded in the Word of God to remember a miracle that He performed. You are told in the Word of God to remember the cross, to remember what He did. And why it's so important for us to do so is captured in the Lord's Supper. So there's beauty and there is a depth here that we should all stop and ponder. So I want to show you today, and I want the goal of it is to allow this to sink into your soul. I want to connect the Passover to the Lord's Supper. We're going to connect the Lord's Supper back to the Passover to, from which it came Remember, during the plagues upon Egypt, God defeated the supposed gods of Egypt by sending plague after plague. Y'all remember this? We do answers in Genesis, so you've studied this, and you have the plagues that are mediated out on the Egyptians because they would not listen to the voice of the prophet. Uh, they would not listen to God, and one after one, they came by sending the plagues the Lord God showed that he has power over all creation. Finally, God sent forth the deadliest plague of all, which was the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn. So God said to Moses, are you ready? Chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, beginning in verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb, according to their fathers, houses, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And, as you, and you shall eat it in haste. Here we are. It is the Lord's 
Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels, right? Mark 14, verse 22. No, let's start at verse 12 just to get a running start. Just one verse, verse 12, chapter 14. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Verse 22. And as they were eating, I mean, two millenniums, for 2,000 years, they've been practicing this, this particular practice of taking the Lord's, of, of doing the Passover. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, now there's a reinterpretation, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, they all drank of it, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. So, the interesting thing about the tenth plague is the Israelites were not safe. All nine plagues before, they were in the comfort of Goshen and they watched all nine plagues mediated out on the Egyptians because they would not listen to God and they defied him. However, when you get to the tenth plague, nobody was safe. What God said, the Egyptians, or what the word God gave to the Israelites of the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, the people of God had to do it too, right? This was the death of the firstborn. This was the plague. What God did to the Egyptians was no surprise. They defied him. Yet it's a little surprising in our human minds to think that God would treat his own people this way and say to them, you better do it exactly the way I said do it or your firstborn will die. So three lessons emerge from the Passover connecting to the Lord's Supper. Are you ready for it? The first lesson is the lesson of the wages of sin. So, like the Egyptians, the Israelites were under the sentence of death. The same night that God brought death and destruction to every home in Egypt, He also visited every Israelite's home. Take note of this. With the purpose of killing the firstborn sons. The destroyer, as God calls it, claimed the right to slay the very children of Israel. Do you think they were shocked to find that their lives were in danger? The Israelites, again, they watched all the rest of the plagues come out from God and they were safe. And they might have been tempted that they were more righteous than the Egyptians. Indeed, they were wrong. 
They were not more righteous than the Egyptians. If God would not have provided a means for their salvation, they would have suffered the loss of every single, single one of their firstborn sons. The Israelites were guilty of sin against God, just like the Egyptians. And in the final plague, God taught them a lesson about their sin and about his salvation. Here's just a couple of things to remember because we want to get to the table. They rejected the word of God's prophet. That's why the Israelites were guilty. How many times did God come to them? Hebrews 1? In many ways, in many times, God spoke through the prophets. And when God spoke through Moses, uh, just think about it. As God led them out of Egypt, the people said, Moses, we'd have been better off to stay in Egypt. Why did you lead us? Why did you leave? Why did we, you lead us out into this position that we're in? And they complained against the Lord's prophet. You've made us a stench, they said to Pharaoh and his officials. And they're going to put the sword to us and they're going to kill us. Exodus 5.21 so neither the Egyptians nor the Israelites would listen and heed to the word of God. So the Israelites were guilty because they rejected the word of God. Second, they were guilty from idolatry. Now it doesn't say that the Israelites were in idolatry in Exodus, but it does say it in Joshua 24, 14. It says, Joshua says, throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt. When was that? When they were in captivity in Egypt. They began to worship false gods. And guess what? They liked it. And for that sin alone, God would have been totally justified in plaguing them. Right? And thirdly, they were sinners by nature. They were sinners by nature. Apart from any particular sin that the Israelites would have ever committed, God's people are sinners by nature. Their humanity meant that they participated in the guilt of Adam's race. And you are too. Guilty. So the Bible says that all, say it, have sinned and fall short. Y'all know Romans 3.23. Y'all with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul will labor in Romans to teach everybody in the entire universe, no matter who it is, Israelite, uh, Greek, Roman, whatever you were, you are guilty before God because when you are born a sinner in Adam. The reason the avenging angel visited the Israelites was because, like the Egyptians, they were sinners. And a sin is a capital offense against a holy God. So the proper penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That was the truth in Israel during the plagues. It's the truth today. Since Adam's sin, no generation has ever avoided physical death, right? Going down to the grave, but also spiritual death. To be without Christ is to be dead in your trespasses and sins. So the tenth plague was the sign of God's judgment on all humanity. If all sinned, then that obviously includes us today. We will never see our need for salvation until we accept that we are guilty. We are as guilty as everyone else before God. Lesson one, the wages of sin is death. Number two, there's a lesson concerning the Lamb of God. Did you hear the Lamb as we read Exodus 12? 
Do you think about the lamb when you read, Matthew, when you read Mark 14? In his mercy, the Lord God provided a way to be safe. Is everybody listening? In his mercy, God provided a way for his people to be safe. The reason he visited their homes was not to destroy them, but to teach them a lesson about salvation. They would be saved by grace through faith. By grace through faith. What God's people needed was atonement. And what God provided was, it was in the form of a lamb. It was a lamb that was to be sacrificed for sin. So the Lord God gives these careful instructions. And when we read that, we're like, we're wigging out. We're like, why is everything so specialized? Why do you have to do this, 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 and this? Each household was to choose its own lamb. Specifically a yearling. It had to be perfect without blemish. Why? Because that's what God expected. One without blemish. So the lamb had to be pure and spotless and whole and sound. God then proceeded to explain what you would do once you slay the lamb. And all these details are important. But none more important than the killing of the lamb. What God required for salvation was the offering of a lamb. It required a sacrifice. He required a lamb in the days of Adam and Eve. We, we kind of bump over that, don't we? Where'd the covering come from? God made a covering from Adam and Eve. Where did it come from? Something had to die. It required a death. In salvation, God gives what God commands. He required a lamb in the days of Abraham. Isaac said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. Every year, God provided a lamb for the people to sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the nation of Israel. A high priest would bring an animal into God's presence and he would sacrifice it as a sin offering. Leviticus 16, 15. There's an obvious progression with the lamb. It served as a representation for larger and larger groups of people. One lamb for a person. One lamb for a household. One lamb for an entire nation. And a single lamb to atone for all the sins of Israel. Then the day came when John saw Jesus approaching and he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. One lamb to die for the world. By his grace, God provided a lamb. And the lamb was slain, as Revelation 13, 8 says, in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. There's a lesson of the wages of sin. There's a lesson concerning a lamb. And finally, there's a lesson concerning the blood of the lamb. The Passover regulation explicitly said that it, there's a requirement of a blood sacrifice. They were commanded to slaughter the lambs in Exodus 12, verse 6. There's no way to slaughter a lamb without the shedding of blood. No way. Once the lamb was sacrificed, they were to do what? Take it and put the blood and paint it on the door frames. This too was absolutely essential because God said the blood will be a sign. Y'all see it in the text? A sign for the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What was so important about the blood, folks? What's so important about the blood? It's a representation of the taking of a life. Notice two things. First, he says it's a sign for you. What the blood signified for the Israelites was that they had a substitute. Somebody died. A lamb had to be provided. And for them, when they looked at that blood, they knew someone died in their stead. 
They didn't have to die. But a lamb did. Something died. So their sin was an offense against the holy God. God was coming in judgment. God was armed with a deadly plague. But when they looked up and saw the blood on the door, they knew their sins were covered. I don't know what you would have thought about, but I'd have been real happy. I'd have been praising God with fear, trepidation, that I'm sitting in my home and a death angel is coming to destroy the firstborn. But when I look at those doorposts and see blood, I know I'm safe. And that's what they did. They knew it. It was a sign for them. It was expiation. I know that's a big theological word, but it means a covering. When they saw the blood, my guilt has been expiated. It's covered up because the blood has been applied to the doorpost. It covered their guilt. The lamb served as their substitute. And by the way, the family would have fully identified with this little lamb. Just think about your kids growing up in a home. And you played with that lamb for four days. And then it was killed. That's, that happened every year. The lamb was in the home for four days. And they fed it. They cared for it. They played with it. And then it was slaughtered by the head of the household. Why would you do that, Dad? The lamb is your substitute. The lamb is taking your place. It's your substitute. The firstborn did not have to die because the lamb died in its stead all over the land of Israel. Imagine on that night the wailing and the crying of the Egyptians who lost their firstborn. But the children of Israel were saved by the blood of the lamb. They were under the blessing. It was a sign to them. But don't, don't miss this. It was also a sign to God. It was a sign to them. It was a sign to God. When the Lord looked at the blood, he in effect said a sacrifice has been made. The penalty has been executed. The blood was the propitiation that turned the wrath of God away in the death angel so that they were spared. The doorpost put blood between a holy God and sinful people. Look at me. Are y'all listening? The doorposts put a covering of blood between a holy God and a sinful people. And when the people looked up and saw, it was expiation. My sins are covered. When God looked down and saw, it was propitiation. My wrath has been turned away. So over the centuries, this sacrifice was repeated for millions of times. King Josiah tells us in 2 Chronicles 35 that there were 37,000 sheep that were slaughtered. Just think for a moment. Imagine all those sheep and all that blood. According to Josephus, several hundred thousand lambs were herded down the streets of Jerusalem every year for the Passover. Yet not even the blood of all those animals could ever atone for our sins fully. Uh, aren't you glad that we're in Hebrews? Listen to this. Hebrews 9, 22. We'll get there one day. Listen. Listen. Hebrews 9, 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Chapter 10. 
verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. Chapter 13, verse 12. Praise God for this one. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify his people through his own blood. There's a lesson concerning the blood of the Lamb. There are people who get squeamish about blood. Don't you understand that you're not saved without the shedding of blood? I don't want to hear all that blood talk. Jesus, Lord, yeah. God, yeah. Friend, yeah. Teacher, yes. Good example. But dying in my place and shedding his blood, that makes me squeamish. Understand, the emphasis is upon who was sacrificed. The emphasis is upon the blood that was shed. It was infinitely precious blood. 1 Peter chapter 1. Consider this. We dwell beneath the blood mark of Christ. That's where your salvation is. The fact that he actually shed his blood to save you. The New Testament says we have now been justified by his blood through the forgiveness of sins. Jesus also suffered to make the people holy through his own blood. 1 Peter 1.18 You were redeemed with precious blood of the Lamb without blemish or defect. And again, 9.22 of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All right, conclusion. The sign that we have a substitute is the blood of Christ. Remember, all those lambs and all those goats sacrificed for millennia could not remove sin permanently. It was only temporary. And it all pointed to another sacrifice, a greater sacrifice. When we look at the cross, we see the payment of sin has been made. Please think of this. And what God what does God see when he looks at the cross? When we look at the cross, the blood has been applied. When he sees the blood-stained cross of his very own son, his wrath against our sin and our person is turned away. I want to remind you that God does not have a substitute to offer in the place of his son. His son is the substitute. The price of sin is fully paid. The blood on the cross has the power to save because it was the sacrifice of the Son of God. We do not believe today that anything here is literal blood or the literal body. We do not believe in a bloodless mass that you do continually week after week to forgive you of your sins. Hebrews completely destroys that false notion. It's the sacrifice of who did it. It was Jesus' blood sacrificed for you. What the blood of the Passover lambs did for a moment, Christ's blood does for all eternity. So what is the connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper? The Bible tells us in another gospel that Jesus longed to have this Passover meal with his friends. And Jesus is going to reinterpret those two elements, the cup and the bread. And he's going to do so in a manner that points them toward his own sacrificial death on their part and on their behalf. So he, as he sat down with them the night before he was executed, he gave them the instructions to get the room ready, prepare the meal. And as they celebrated this meal, roughly the same way they had done so for millennial, Christ abruptly changed the formula. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood. Shed for the remission of sins. 
as he lifted up the cup. Now instead of the blood of a lamb or a goat, his blood would be shed for them. In the Old Testament, the grace was that God provided a lamb to substitute for the people. That was the grace. The faith was that the Israelites listened to God and applied the blood to the doorposts. And they listened to what Moses, his servant, said. They trusted in the blood. You can't be delivered from sin without trusting in the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's covered your sin, and Jesus has met the Father's standard of righteousness. It couldn't be anyone else. They could have looked at the blood and thought, well, I'm covered. But if it was the blood of anyone else other than the perfect Son of God, there was no covering. They could have thought, maybe God is going to propitiate, be propitiated toward me and remove his wrath. That would never happen unless it was the perfect, righteous, spotless Lamb of God who indeed took your place. That's why there's no salvation apart from the Son. There's no salvation apart from the Lamb of God. Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father except through me. This was the time, Passover, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Hear this. As every father in Israel was preparing a lamb for each family, on that very night, the Lord Jesus Christ is reinterpreting the cup and the bread. The high priest was readying the sacrifice in the temple, but the real high priest was getting ready to go to the cross on behalf of his people. So, And there was Jesus, our Passover lamb, Dying in our place for the sins of his people. Hallelujah. There are two words that pop out from this particular text. One is the blessing. Eulogeo is the word, a eulogy. Jesus blesses, right? Gives it to his disciples, and then he does what? Gives thanks. You know what word that is? Eucharist. He's giving Thanks, and that's why we call it this. But here, here's the deal, folks. Something about to blow up. Did y'all hear that like me? M- maybe that's the crescendo of what I'm about to say to you. But listen to me. Now is the time to give thanks. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because you're remembering the cross. You are remembering that a substitute has been made. You're remembering that God gave grace in the Lamb of God. He, made a, he gave you a substitute so that you didn't have to die in your sins. Look, folks, if you're here today and you're lost, if you've never trusted Christ, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. Judgment. The same judgment that came to those in Egypt will come to all those who die without the covering of the Lamb and without the propitiation of God's wrath being turned away. You will die in your sins. The grace in the Old Testament was that God provided the Lamb. The faith was that they listened and made the covering. But all of that pointed to the greater reality that the grace is that God gave us Jesus. The faith is you've got to put your trust only in Christ in order to be saved. And we're able to participate as a visible reminder today of what it means to trust Christ and be saved. To be able to hold up that cup and say, yes, I've been forgiven. All 
of my sins are remembered no more. Praise God for that. I want to ask our uh, servers to come to the front at this point, and Brother David is going to come lead us. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, there'll be time to meditate as the orchestra plays on some great old hymns that remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. There'll be times to respond where we'll rise and sing about the broken body, about the shed blood. And let's, uh, let's start uh, that response just now with this great uh, song, the uh, communion hymn. sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we drink of this sacrifice the sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the king. The Bible says he took bread and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples. At this point, we're going to have a blessing. Amen. Brother Andy. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that in the ancient times, Lord, there was uh, a covenant that was made, and that was a cutting of the covenant, Lord, where animals had to be cut and killed, Lord, for eternal promises to be made. We see that all through the Old Testament as we read in Genesis and even in the garden, even before Abraham, uh, Lord, there was a covenant that was made. Uh, today we learned that the Passover lamb, Lord, was a covenant that was cut, and they responded in faith. In all the Old Testament Day of Atonements, Lord, continually, uh, animal sacrifices and the covenant that was made. But it was simply a temporary covering, Lord, and they, they knew it. They left with still the guilt in their conscience of sin and the punishment that they were under until they came back the next year. Oh, but Father, you, through Jesus Christ, on that night when he stood and held the bread, said, this is my body of the new covenant. It was final, it was permanent, it was eternal, it was the, it was the end, uh, Lord. And so we stand here today and we proclaim to ourselves as the witness, as your Holy Spirit witnesses with our, with our spirit, we proclaim to each other the unity of our faith in the Lamb of God, and we proclaim to you, Lord, as we stand before you in remembrance of the body that was broken, the covenant that was made, the covenant to end all covenants. We stand sealed for eternity based on that covenant, Lord. It's with humble gratitude that we take it and we remember it. And it's with a thankful heart that gives praise to you and honor to you and glory to you in your name, Jesus. And in his name we pray.
as we're passing the elements, please read Isaiah 53 with me responsively. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. our Savior. The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life. Pay the price to make us one. So we
as you hold this bread, it's a reminder that his body was broken for you. What a sacrifice. We thank the Lord for it. Amen. God bless you. Take and eat. Bible says that the Lord God also took the cup and blessed it, told him this is my blood shed for you. It's the new covenant in his blood. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the sovereignty that you show us, Lord, and having a plan before the foundation of the world, Lord, to, to bring salvation to mankind. Father, I ask that you help us never to lose the wonder and the amazement that you came in human flesh, lived a life, Lord, of perfection, and then shed your blood for us on that cross, Lord. We just heard this morning again, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Lord, that, that verse in Hebrews just, just wants me to shout that when you had purged our sins, you sat down. It is finished, and we so thank you for that. We thank you for what, what I heard Brother Miller call the great transaction, Lord where we, you took our sin upon yourself and was punished for it, and you gave us your righteousness. Oh, Father, what a, what a merciful and gracious thing. Help us never again to lose that wonder. We ask these things in Jesus' most precious holy name. Amen.
every state. As you hold this cup, you remember that because of Christ's shed blood, your sin is covered. And because of the death of Christ, the sacrifice of the Son of God, which is taught all the way through Hebrews, all the way through the Bible, God is able to look at you and his wrath is turned away. Your sin covered. His wrath turned away. That's the only way mankind could ever be saved. And it's all because of Jesus. So as you drink this cup, think of the fact that because of his sacrifice on the cross and the fact that you put your faith and trust in him, your sins are forgiven. Hebrews says, and remember no more. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Praise God. And as you drink this cup, also think of this. The reason we serve this way is because everyone is served, right? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. In many, many ways, we're most like our Savior when we're serving, serving one another in the body of Christ. So take and drink. Jesus said, this was the blood that was shed for you. We want to conclude our service together in two ways. Once, one, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never trusted Christ, this is one of the reasons we do the Lord's Supper. Is The Bible says it proclaims his death until he returns. So we proclaim his death that he paid the penalty for sins. And if you're lost today, 
Just as the Israelites had to put their faith in the blood, put on the doorpost and the lintel, and they trusted that blood, you have to put your trust only in Christ alone for salvation. So Brother Dave is going to play. Just remain seated. And if you know the Lord God has spoken to your heart, spoken to your, the seat of who you are, not that pumping instrument. That's just an organ. We're talking about what makes you who you are, the seat of your personality, your emotions, your affections. If you know the Holy Spirit is drawing you to put your faith and trust in Christ, then do it. Amen. Let's do that. Let's sing. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge This is Miss Beth Chase, and she's been attending our church for quite some time. Now, I think she just stepped out of the orchestra, right? Talk about serving, amen? But uh, she wants to stand before you and tell you that she wants this to be her church that she's a member of uh, in obedience to the Lord, and uh, she already has trusted Christ. She's already followed in believer's baptism, and so she joins by her statement of faith of believing in Christ, trusting Him, and baptism. Uh, to be a member of this church at First Baptist. So we welcome her. She's also going to take the new members class in January or February when I teach it again. All right? So let's welcome Miss Beth. Glad to have you. That's Mr. Bruce. I'll have you go back there and, and they'll line you up so that we can go by and welcome you here. Well, in the Word of God, in Mark chapter 14, they went out after they sang a hymn. Let's do that today, all right? So we've got one last verse to that communion hymn, and it's really my favorite. 
and it should launch us into a great Thursday if you have this on your mind. And so with thankfulness and faith, we rise to respond. Respond how? To call the call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. Let's stand together. God bless. Come back tonight and here are our three remaining elder nominees. God bless you.